Chapter Twenty Two of The Lone Wolf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. The Lone Wolf by Louis Joseph Vance. Chapter Twenty Two Trapped. It was a sound so slight, so very small and still, that only a super-subtle sense of hearing could have discriminated it from the confused multiplicity of almost inaudible, interwoven, interdependent sounds that make up the slumberous quiet of every human habitation by night. Lanyard, whose training had taught him how to listen, had learned that the nocturnal hush of each and every house has its singular cadence its own gentle movement of muted but harmonious sound in which the introduction of an alien sound produces immediate discord and to which while at his work he need attend only subconsciously since the least variation from the norm would give him warning now in the silence of this old mansion he detected a faint flutter of discordance that sounded a note of stealth such a note as no move of his since entering had evoked he was no longer alone but shared the empty magnificence of those vast salons with one whose purpose was as furtive as secret as wary as his own no servant or watchman roused by an intuition of evil but one who had no more than he any lawful business there and while he stood at alert attention the sound was repeated from a point less distant indicating that the second intruder was moving toward the library in two swift strides lanyard left the shelter of the screen and took to cover in the recess of one of the tall windows behind its heavy velvet hangings an action that could have been timed no more precisely had it been rehearsed he was barely in hiding when a shape of shadow slipped into the library paused beside the massive desk and raked the room with the light of a powerful flash-lamp its initial glare struck squarely into lanyard's eyes dazzling them as he peered through a narrow opening in the portieres and though the light was instantly shifted for several moments a blur of peacock colour blending ebbing hung like a curtain in the darkness and he could see nothing distinctly only the trail traced by that dancing spotlight over walls and furnishings when at length his vision cleared the newcomer was kneeling in turn before the safe but more light was needed and this one, lacking Lanyard's patience and studious caution, turned back to the desk, and, taking the reading lamp, transferred it to the floor behind the screen. But, even before the flood of light followed the dull click of the switch, Lanyard had recognized the woman. For an instant he felt dazed, half-stunned, suffocating, much as he had felt with Greg's fingers tightening on his windpipe that week old night at Troyon's he experienced real difficulty about breathing and was conscious of a sickish throbbing in his temples and a pounding in his bosom like the tolling of a great bell he stared swaying the light gushing from the opaque hood made the safe door a glare and was thrown back into her intent masked face throwing out in sharp silhouette her lithe sweet body indisputably identified by the individual poise of her head and shoulders and the gracious contours of her tailored coat she was all in black even to her hands 
no trace of white or any color showing but the fair curve of the cheek below her mask and the red of her lips and if more evidence were needed the intelligence with which she attacked the combination the confident business-like precision distinguishing her every action proved her an apt pupil in that business his thoughts were all in a welter of miserable confusion he knew that this explained many things he would have held questionable had not his infatuation forbidden him to consider them at all lest he be disloyal to this woman whom he adored but in the anguish of that moment he could entertain but one thought and that possessed him altogether that she must somehow be saved from the evil she contemplated but while he hesitated she became sensitive to his presence though he had made no sound since her entrance though he had not even stirred somehow she divined that he someone was there in the recess of the window watching her in the act of opening the safe using the memorandum of its combination which he had jotted down in her presence he saw her pause freeze to a pose of attention then turn to stare directly at the portiere that hid him and for an eternal second she remained kneeling there so still that she seemed not even to breathe her gaze fixed and level waiting for some sound some sign some tremor of the curtain's folds to confirm her suspicion when at length she rose it was in one swift alert movement and as she paused with her slight shoulders squared and her head thrown back defiantly challengingly as one without will of his own but drawn irresistibly by her gaze he stepped out into the room and since he was no more the lone wolf but now a simple man in agony with no thought for their circumstances for the fact that they were both housebreakers and that the slightest sound might raise a hue and cry upon them he took one faltering step toward her stopped lifted a hand in a gesture of appeal and stammered lucy you his voice broke and failed she didn't answer more than by recoiling as though he had offered to strike her until the table stopped her and she leaned back as if glad of its support. "'Oh!' she cried, trembling. "'Why, why, did you do it?' He might have answered her in kind, but self-justification passed his power. He couldn't say, "'Because this evening you made me lose faith in everything, and I thought to forget you by going to the devil the quickest way I knew, this way.' Though that was true." he couldn't say because a thief from boyhood habit proved too strong for me and i couldn't withstand temptation for that was untrue he could only hang his head and mumble the wretched confession i don't know as if he hadn't spoken she cried again why why did you do it i was so proud of you so sure of you the man who had turned straight because of me it compensated but now, her voice broke in a short, dry sob. Compensated? he repeated stupidly. Yes, compensated. She lifted her head with a gesture of impatience. For this, don't you understand? For this that I'm doing. You don't imagine I'm here of my own will, that I went back to Bannon for any reason but to try to save you from him? I knew something of his power, and you didn't i knew if i went away with you he'd never rest until he had you murdered and i thought if i could mislead him by lies for a little time long enough to give you a chance to escape i thought 
perhaps I might be able to communicate with the police, denounce him. She hesitated, breathless and appealing. At her first words he had drawn close to her, and all their talk was murmurings. But this was quite instinctive, for both were beyond considerations of prudence, the one coherent thought of each being that now, once and forever, all misunderstanding must be done away with. Now, as naturally as though they had been lovers always, Lanyard took her hand and clasped it between his own. "'You cared as much as that.' "'I love you,' she told him. "'I love you so much I am ready to sacrifice everything for you. Life, liberty, honor. "'Hush, dearest, hush,' he begged, half distracted. "'I mean it. If honor could hold me back, do you think I would have broken in here tonight to steal for Bannon? He sent you, eh? Lanyard commented in a dangerous voice. He was too cunning for me. I was afraid to tell you. I meant to tell, to warn you, this evening in the cab. But then I thought, perhaps, if I said nothing and sent you away believing the worst of me, perhaps you would save yourself and forget me. But never. I tried my best to deceive him, but couldn't. They got the truth from me by threats. They wouldn't dare. They dare anything, I tell you. They knew enough of what had happened through their spies to go on, and they tormented and bullied me until I broke down and told them everything. And when they learned you had brought the jewels back here, Bannon told me I must bring them to him, that if I refused, he'd have you killed. I held out until tonight. Then, just as I was about to go to bed, he received a telephone message and told me you were driving a taxi and followed by Apaches and wouldn't live till daylight if I persisted in refusing. You came alone? No. Three men brought me to the gate. They're waiting outside, in the park. Apaches? Two of them. The other is Captain Ekstrom. Ekstrom! Lanyard cried in despair. Is he... The dull, heavy crashing slam of the great front doors silenced him. End of chapter 22 Recording by William Tomko.